1: And hello once again, friends. We welcome you back to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast and heard across the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Great to have you with us for another episode. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and we are going to be talking to author Kevin Dunn about his brand new book. It's called Vicious Is My Middle Name. It has one of the coolest titles I can think of of any book that we have talked about and profiled on the program, and the content matches the title for sure. And so I'm so glad to have Kevin with us today. He joins us. He is a member of several bands. He runs a small record label, publishes Zines, and also writes for Razor Cake Magazine. He also works at a small liberal arts college called Hobart and Williams Smith Colleges, where he teaches and publishes on a range of topics consisting from African politics to international relations to global punk. And he and his family split their time between Western New York State and Western North Carolina. And the book that we're going to be talking about today, Vicious Is My Middle Name, is his first novel. So, Kelvin, hello to you. Welcome to the program. So glad to have you with us today.
2: Thank you. Uh, It's really nice to be here, Ellie. I appreciate it. and I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's great to be here.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate you tuning in uh, and listening to the show, for sure. But I wanted to ask you uh, about your protagonist, because I feel like we could spend a whole uh, time, or our time together, or a whole episode uh, talking about her. But uh, she's just a fantastic character. But her name is Sydney Vicious Talcott, And I was reading some reviews uh, about your book, and one of the words that kept coming up to describe her was quote-unquote punk. A lot of the reviewers said that she is quote-unquote punk. What does that mean exactly, and how does that apply to her as a character?
2: Yeah, well, I'll start by saying that uh, uh, Sydney exists because uh, my youngest child is named Strummer Dunn, uh, named after Joe Strummer. Uh, and Stromer, when I, when I started writing this novel, um, uh, Strummer is a voracious reader. She was 12 when I started writing this. And uh, I realized that of all the books she's reading, uh, she didn't see herself uh, in, in, in these books, right? She, whether it was Harry Potter or whatever she was reading, um, she always kind of di- didn't see herself. So when I set out to write this book, I really intended that Sidney uh, Sydney Talcott was a kind of um, a protagonist that my own child, Stromer, could see themselves in. Um, and Stromer is a very unique, uh, uh, wonderful individual, my Stromer. Uh, uh, and so she identifies herself as a, as a little punk uh, in the sense that she... Uh, listens to a lot of punk music Um, but more than that is she kind of embraces an ethos of punk of of kind of doing things for herself um, of kind of organizing her friends uh, instead of waiting for for someone to solve a problem they might have she's very much going to roll up her sleeves uh, work with people and try and solve that herself right and so you know, I've done work on. She I mean, she picks this up because she's surrounded by, among other things, my own interest in punk and punk culture, um, and so I think she's uh, incorporates that. <laughs> excuse me, ethos um, of of punk and punk culture, and then that is manifested uh, 100% in Sydney Talcott.
1: And she's got some of those elements of punk that you're talking about—that that cultural uh, motifs associated with punk. She's got dyed hair. She wears Doc Martens. Sydney does. She sports yeah. a lot of band T-shirts. So I think when people think of that word punk and kind of yeah. some of the stereotypes associated with that, you know, we see we see Sydney kind of displaying that.
2: Yeah, she definitely embraces that identity.
1: I wanted to ask you a little bit too about place in your story because it's really really important and what happens here. And we find that. Uh, Sydney and her family have been spending a lot of time and she's really grown up in Rochester, New York. uh, But then uh, she moves from there and is brought to Beaver Dam, North Carolina. So what kind of life is she leaving in Rochester, New York? And what kind of a culture and a life is she walking into uh, in Beaver Dam, North Carolina?
2: Yeah, I mean, she's definitely an urban kid uh, in New York State uh, when she leaves Rochester. And she leaves Rochester because her her mother relocates her down to, to her own parents' house. So Sydney's grandparents' place there in Beaver Dam, uh, North Carolina. And Beaver Dam's a made-up um, location, but it definitely has a very specific you know, location for me, which is there in western North Carolina, outside of Boone. Um, and she finds herself in a, not just a rural setting, which she's not used to, uh, but a, a mountain setting there in the Appalachians. Uh, And at first, she just doesn't connect and doesn't understand uh, why things are different, uh, why things are, you know, the way they are in a rural or a mountain setting. Uh, And then she, I think, really learns to appreciate and love and value uh, her surroundings. I mean, um, I'm glad that was your second question, right? I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that, because when I was writing it, I really wanted to make her surroundings, Appalachia, another character in the book, right, that she Um, has a relationship with that gets closer and closer. um, And that, I mean, by the end, she's deeply in love with where where she's found herself
1: when we see her kind of functioning inside of the school setting, she feels like she is very much an outcast and she kind of runs to the school library uh, and and tries to hide. And I think there's so many of us listening uh, to the podcast that remember those days when we were in uh, middle school or junior high and high school and trying to find our our fit and find our click and find our niche. Uh, but, But she really struggles with that. And then she comes across, uh, uh, two students who she identifies with and really makes a connection with one of those uh, uh, is a Guatemalan-American named Rita uh, the other is an afro character named Sean and what she f- kind of finds is that both of them have been kind of treated or labeled uh, outcasts or they feel like outcasts so what is it about them that has made them an outcast Sean and Rita and then what kind of reception does Sydney get when she meets them for the first time?
2: Yeah that's that's great right so Sean and Rita you know, represents a kind of diversity within Appalachian demographics, right? Um, that make up modern Ap- Appalachia, but are not fully embraced in the, in the school, right? So you've got a um, Guatemalan immigrant family, uh, and then Sean, who's an Appalachian, a young black man, uh, who's been in the region for generations and generations. But um, whether well, it's the color of their skin, um, the kind of ethnic and in some cases as the book kind of picks up a kind of class background they're outcast they're misfits they've, they've kind of found themselves uh, on the margins of the school social pecking order um, but they're okay with that they've made their you know they're they've come to terms with that and they found their place in the library I don't know if that was where you found your place in middle school it definitely was where I found my place me too um, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of us out there. Um, and so uh, what's interesting is that uh, initially, Rita's very warm and embracing of Sydney, where um, uh, I think Sean kind of feels that threat of here's a, a, a tough, rough-and-tumble urban kid coming into his space. So there's a little hesitancy there, but they, they overcome that fairly quickly, uh, and they kind of unite together as this kind of band of not just misfits, but also book nerds. I mean, they're bonding over, over reading. I had a lot of of, of of fun kind of thinking about what books they might be reading and connecting with.
1: And I love their strongest connection is centered on in terms of books and reading is on Harry Potter. And yeah. I, I was thinking about, you know, I've only read a couple of the Harry Potter books, but I was thinking about those three characters, about about Sidney, Rita, and Sean. And I feel like what you've constructed with them are characteristics. I, I could see them existing in a Harry Potter type story. but I also <sighs> can see some of the Harry Potter characters temperaments and attitudes and things, philosophies reflected in them. So I love that you that you made it around around Harry Potter. oh, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to ask you too, um and and this kind of takes us into another part of the story, sort of another major plot line is that, um, Sydney learns that there uh, in Beaver Dam, there is going to be an asphalt plant that is going to be built um, near the school. And, and there's this whole situation where you've got sort of a, a rich landowner in town there in Beaver Dam. and sort of this corrupt company that's coming in and wanting to uh, build this asphalt plant. And we get a sense that um, uh, it's all about uh, money and profit for them. and They're not as concerned about, you know, the environmental or, or uh, land consequences that are to come from that what is it about Sydney that gets her so interested in that being, being from a big city and kind of trying to get herself acclimated to, to rural Appalachia and here in, uh, in Beaver Dam, what gets her so fascinated and interested in, in this asphalt plant and what kind of makes her decide Okay, we've got to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. No, we're not going to stand for uh, just letting this company come in and build this uh, this plant next to our school, which has, uh, you know, uh, is going to cause some could cause some health complications for us.
2: Yeah, right. I, I think for Sydney, it's that kind of realization that she's falling in love with Appalachia. Right. She's falling in love with the environment. She's really starting to appreciate where she finds herself, and then suddenly she sees it under threat. Um, and she sees it under threat from you know, external forces, kind of this kind of evil corporation, but also kind of internal forces of these kind of, almost call them uh, a corrupt, powerful family within the, the, the area who are not putting the, um, the citizens and the environment's uh, interest, uh, up up front. And so I think what she's realizing is that, you know, she's she's at a place where she's really falling in love and she's seeing this threat. Um, and initially she tries to think about some of the ways that she can rally some support and challenge it, write a letter to the editor or what, for, what have you. Um, and then she realizes for kind of developments within the novel that she needs to use the skills that she's acquired as a little punk, right, a do-it-yourself punk. Let's make some zines, let's start organizing ourselves, make some posters, make some t-shirts, print them ourselves, start organizing ourselves um, uh, and, and, and see what we can do to stand up uh, to, to these forces. Um, and there's that, that, that element within Punk, but I think you see this with Sydney, is self-empowerment, right? You know, that, that, that instead of waiting for someone to come rescue her and her friends, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna do it themselves. Um, and, and and they had that sense of empowerment that I think emerges across the story. Um, I hope so, at least.
1: You know, and I love that you said that because I felt like when we got to that section of the book, I felt like that Rita and Sean had educated in some ways Sydney a little bit about about being different racially and being different ethnically. But then she's kind of educating them through, like you were saying, the, the protesting and the creating the, the, the designs and ultimately music. She kind of leans on music as a way to kind of rally the community. So there's this kind of dual education going on. You know, they're kind of educating Sydney. Uh, uh, Sean and Rita are on some areas where she's not very familiar, but then she's educating them on some ways that, that you can speak up and, and use different methods to get attention. I just love that that each of them were kind of whether they realized or not were teaching each other something. And I, I was wondering was that something you, you set out to do with those characters or did that just kind of happen as the plot was unfolding?
2: That's a great question, Elliot. Right. So I, I definitely set out that Sydney was going to be um sharing some of the the philosophy behind DIY punk. I've got a uh, um, an academic book, a non-fiction book on global punk. Um, and there's these elements there in terms of how punk helps empower people and helps build communities and so forth. So, you know, with Sydney, she's kind of talking about some of those elements about punk that I wanted her to to, to share. Um, and in those conversations, uh, you know, it, you kind of surprise yourself when you're writing um, when Sid, when um, Sean and Rita start pushing back on her, and there's a, a, a passage where Sean points out her own privilege and saying, oh, "Look, we're outcasts because of our color of our skin or our class. That's why we're marginalized. You're an outcast because you choose to be an outcast, right? You choose to wear the clothes that you, you know, you have that you're wearing." Um, you choose to look the way you do, and that's feeding your, your kind of misfit, outcast position. Um, and I hadn't actually intended that wasn't part of the conversation. I quickly realized that to be true to my characters, that's what they would have to say back um, to Sydney. And I, I and it was it was one of those uh, for me as a writer, beautiful moments of saying, "Oh, I I can see how this is going to play itself out. I can see how these characters would talk to each other." this makes perfect sense. And this is an important message um, that Sydney needs to hear.
1: We're speaking with author and professor Kevin Dunn here on this episode of Now Appalachia. We're talking to him about his first novel. It's called Vicious Is My Middle Name. One of the coolest titles we've ever talked about and had (laughs) on the program. And uh, Kevin, we'll come back to the book uh, in just a second. I wanted to ask you um, something uh, along the lines of, of, of young adult books and young adult readers. I noticed on the back of the book it had a, an age range recommended from nine to 12. And so I just did a little research and I found a Washington Post article from 2017 or 2018 that said a majority of young adult books that are purchased, or at least it purchased at that time that that story was written, are by adults, not necessarily the, the teenagers and, and and the, you know, the, the, upper, the upper elementary school, the early middle school, maybe even the late middle school, early high school students that you think would read this. And I was thinking about your book and I thought, you know, I could see this being the type of book that parents and kids could read together. You know, the mom and dad could read it while the child was reading it, too. I just wondered your thoughts on that, about, about writing in this genre for that age group and how it seems that some of the things that that you cover in this book, uh, you know, uh, about race and differences and and, you know, reestablishing what home means and finding the value in that are so universal not just for kids of that age group but also for adults and your thoughts on that and and why so many of us adults are reading young adult uh, literature these days and yeah
2: that's interesting you know because uh I actually read a lot of, uh, of these types of books, right, age 9 to 12 or age 9 to 18, uh, because my kids are constantly telling me, oh, dad, you have to read this book, or you have to read this book, um, and we'll read them together. I mean, they don't, they don't share everything with me, and I don't share everything that I read with them, but we do share the same kind of interest in in genres, especially around middle grade, young adult. Um and I think it's great that uh, for myself, I'm having these conversations with my kids um, around a, something outside. You know, it's not a TV show that we watch together, um, but it's a book, and so we can get much more um, go deep into the conversations about what the book's doing, how the authors are addressing these issues, and what are those complicated issues at play there. Um, and I think it's great. Uh, and so when I set out to write this book. I very much wanted to make sure it was for my kids, but I also was trying to write a book that I would enjoy and that other, you know, parents of of kids would enjoy as well.
1: So you have kids kind of in that in that middle school uh, age range, and I wanted to ask you, you know, of course, this isn't a scientific uh, question with polling and data, but do you feel like that age group? Because I know you you have children and they have friends, and you kind of around that age group a lot. Do, do you feel like they are reading? They are enjoying reading. You know, we hear so much about, well, it's, it's, this is the iPad, you know, social media generation, but I'm always amazed when I go to, to bookstores and and, in my community and different communities, there are a lot of kids in there buying books and there are a lot of parents in there buying books for their kids. And again, I know this isn't sort of scientific with, with data and all of that and and metrics Uh used, but do do you get a sense that kids are still reading kids in that age range are still reading? And is it just a matter Uh of finding books that work Uh for them?
2: Absolutely, Elliot. I do. And I know, you know, anecdotally, it's my kids and my kids' friends uh, and their friends, but those are a lot of kids and they talk about books all the time. They share books. Both of my kids are voracious readers and their friend groups, which is quite large, are voracious leader, readers as well. I mean, I know that's not, again, as you pointed out, it's not scientific, um, but I feel uh I feel good about this generation and how literate they are and how discerning, uh, they are as well. And you you mentioned Harry Potter. Uh, I think both my kids, um, Harry Potter was a huge, uh, huge hook for them, uh, that they really got into Harry Potter and then they just kept going. Um, my eldest got into Agatha Christie and they just kept going in terms of now their interest in, in mysteries uh, and so forth. Um, so yeah, I, Again, it's not scientific, but I, I'm always um, heartened when I'm walking through bookstores and my kids are in the bookstore, but they're not the only kids in the bookstore, right? There's often a whole bunch of kids pulling books off the shelves and figuring out how, how many they're going to be able to buy for their allowance that week.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I feel the same way. And it it heartens me in a good way to see that because, you know, we hear so much about all kids aren't reading. I just want to do this and that play on the iPad and the phone and the computer. Then when you actually see it in person, it's really a great thing to see. So I want to ask you uh, one more question, then we'll get back to the book. If we were to sneak into your office or sneak into your bedroom and take a peek on the nightstand, what books might we see? in your currently reading or to be read pile.
2: <laughs> so I, yeah, that's, there, it, there's a very large pile there, right? Very large pile. You know, I recently started uh, reading a lot of noir and uh, mysteries again. Um, S.A. Cosby, who's a, a writer uh, just off the foothills there in Virginia is just making some amazing uh, art with his books. I'm a big Colson Whitehead fan. Um, Sarah Gran, who is a really interesting murder mystery, has a Claire DeWitt series. Uh, Emily St. John, um, uh, what's her last name? Mindell. Uh, she wrote Station Eleven, but she also wrote The Glass Hotel, um, is is a big favorite of, of mine. Um, yeah, those are, and then you'll also find next to, to those books, a whole bunch of uh, uh, memoirs from uh, musicians uh, or um uh, you know, non fiction books about about music as well.
1: Very good. Kevin Dunn joins us on this episode of Now Appalachia. We're talking to him about uh, his new book, Vicious is My Middle Name, and also about writing and, and young adult literature and children and reading patterns. And so, I wanted to go back to, to the book uh, for just a couple minutes as we have some time here remaining. Uh, Kevin, to talk a little bit about this. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know you touched on this earlier, we were talking about. Uh, the education that kind of exists between Rita and Sean and Sydney, and then kind of what Sydney educates them uh, about, you know, sort of her experiences growing up in a different part of the country and in, a, in a sort of the big city. Um, you know, one of the things I loved is that um, she learns a lot. I feel like by the time we get to the end of the story, Sydney learns a lot about Appalachian culture, and, and you mentioned that she kind of ends up realizing that this this is going to be an, an okay place. Uh, what were some of the things about Appalachian culture you feel like that, that she takes away, uh, from her experience, not only the experience of sort of protesting, uh, the asphalt plant getting built next to the school, but just her kind of experiences being in the school and meeting Sean and Rita, what, what do you think are her big takeaways about Appalachian culture?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't think it ever becomes explicit, but one of the implicit things, uh, is that some of her assumptions about what Appalachia is uh, become challenged, right? Uh, and that was something I was trying to do uh, in the book, right? Is to really show uh, contemporary Appalachia is a very diverse place um, uh, in terms of demographics, in terms of the issues. You know, um, you know those of us who kind of identify as Appalachian residents. Um, uh, you know, I moved in 1989 to Western North Carolina. I've lived there on and off ever since. And it's always, you know, it was a realization for myself to, to, to kind of recognize the diversity and the richness of, of Appalachia. And I wanted to kind of embed that uh, in the story for Sydney as well to realize that, oh, you know, there's, um, the, you know, she never it never gets mentioned, but there's a, a, a hillbilly kind of trope that never you know doesn't exist um and doesn't exist in in this book at all right she's encountering a whole diverse set of of people that make up Appalachia, and i think that's really important uh, for sydney to come to realize and to to appreciate
1: do you feel like there could be another book in the works for sydney talcott could we see her in another adventure could we see (laughs) john and rita make another appearance or did you really want this to be just sort of a standalone story
2: I you know I as soon as I I always intended it to be a standalone story and as soon as I finished it and sent it off uh, the brain starts working and going well I I think I know what's going to happen the next year now I have been working on a couple of other projects uh, that don't involve any of these characters um, but I do in my notebook have it sketched out uh, a, a possible second and a possible third um, uh, book that would would fit together. Um, but you know, who knows? We'll see what, what happens.
1: I understand. Very good. And one question I want to ask you a, a, as we finish up um, your process for writing. I know you do a lot of different things. Uh, you, you're writing uh, for, you're doing, you're doing um, uh, some, some writing for uh, magazines. You're doing, you're a writer for razor cake magazine. You, you uh, write for them, you publish Zines. you know, you're teaching certainly at Hobart and William Smith colleges. So how, how do you write? How do you find time to write? Do you write every day? Or are you just sort of a sporadic writer? How does all that uh, work for you? How did you what was your writing process like for this book in particular?
2: Well, this book in particular, I was really lucky because um, I was uh, off of teaching and I found myself uh, in Ireland for three months. And I would get up every morning and I'd get my kids their breakfast and then get their lunch and get them out the door to go to school And then I would take my laptop to a local coffee shop and I would circle different coffee shops and I would write until the battery ran out on my laptop. Um, And then by that point, go pick my kids up from school and so forth. And I really, um, I I had to do that. I I did also uh, at the outset, I really tried to, to, to flesh out the characters and to really structure the story before I started writing it. So I spent a lot of time in the kind of um, preliminary work. Um, that's not often how I, I, I work, but I, I did. Um, since coming back from that wonderful semester off where I'm now back into the regular work-a-day grind, I really have to find the time to, to write. But it's exactly that. I need to clear a good two hours. and um, I try and do it Monday through Friday if I'm lucky. Um, got to make that time and and kind of keep that 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 time sacred. Um, and then again, uh, unplugging the laptop and just writing until the battery goes is a great kind of motivator.
1: Yeah, I love that strategy and I love that way of of staying disciplined and saying, OK, I'm not getting out of this chair or I'm not leaving this coffee shop until the battery is dead. And I've got some words on the screen. So I, exactly. I love that. philosophy. I think that's great. So as we finish up with you today, Kevin, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about uh, writing, about Razorcake Magazine, about other things that you're involved in, uh, where can they find you? How can they get in contact with you, first of all? And then where can they get copies of Vicious Is My Middle Name?
2: Yeah, so uh, there is a website that I created. It's uh, www.kcdunn, D-U-N-N, so kcdunn.com. And there's contact information there as well as links to all the various types of writing and work that I do, whether it's uh, academic or, you know, with music reviews um, or, or my own fictional writing. Uh, Vicious comes out in November. Um, it's available pre-order through Fitzroy Press, which is an imprint of Regal House. Um, it's available Amazon.com, all the regular places. Hopefully be uh, at your local bookstore, but, you know, you can put that request in Um, but yeah, it's, it's out there. It will be out there in the world. I know it's up for pre-order at Barnes and Noble and places like that as well.
1: Our guest today on now Appalachia has been author Kevin Dunn. He is a writer for razor cake magazine. He also is a professor at Hobart and Williams Smith colleges, and he's the author of the brand new book. It's called vicious is my middle name. It is a book with smooth prose, outstanding dialogue, really realistic characters And even though, as we've talked about, it's targeted for that nine to 12 year old age range. If you've got a reader like that in your life, I think you will find as an adult, if you pick it up and take a read, you're going to really enjoy it. And it may be that kind of book that you're going to enjoy, but also that maybe you want to sit down and read with your with your son or your daughter, or your niece or nephew or grandson or granddaughter, because there are so many themes there to apply to both uh, younger adults and also older adults. So, Kevin, it's a terrific book. Again, it's got one of the best titles I can think of of any book that I've read or heard about in vicious is my middle name it's really really a great story and i appreciate you coming on the program congratulations thanks for the conversation and as you get book two and three in the series done we'd love to have you back on to talk about it so thanks so much all right well thank you elliot it's been a pleasure we want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of now appalachia to give a special shout out to our executive producer of the program as well as all of the programs you hear and podcasting that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Her name is Pam Stack. We could not bring these podcasts to you each and every time without her support and assistance, so Pam, thank you so very much. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That will do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time, and in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon,
0: I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network for questions or comments about this program. And to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.